What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 107 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't Let me answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Beard, beard, Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, break down this week's news, and then conclude by asking the question, is a vegan world possible or do humans just love the taste of meat too much? <laughs> uncomfortable yeah i i'm excited to to dig into this article that we're basing our question around though i think it's gonna be a fun time paul yeah but before we do that we have a couple announcements as we've mentioned last week we have the compassion fest coming up that's in hamden connecticut the compassion fest holiday market on december 9th and andy and myself will not only both be there but we will be doing a live podcast at 5 p.m so come on out i think it's gonna be a fun time it is free for all to attend so no excuses everybody yeah, and, and also, uh, as this is episode 107, that means 110 is coming up, and that's going to be our mailbag episode. So make sure you're getting those questions in, because by the time you hear this, we'll have already recorded episode 108, and you won't have too much time left. So if you've got any burning questions to ask us, uh, feel free to send them in, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. Please do. So Andy, what have you been eating? Ooh, well, I was just down in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a place that I love to visit. I didn't have a lot of time there this year. It was a quick in and out. But on the way in, I did get to stop at Healthful Essence, which is a place that wasn't previously on my radar. But as looking through the old happy cow, I saw a vegan Caribbean spot. And I was like, this is definitely right up my alley. So I went mm-hmm. there. I got the large plate, which was so much food i probably should have gotten a smaller plate but i got the jerk unduck which i'm pretty sure was yuba and then barbecue tofu served over some rice and peas and then ethiopian red lentils and that's all on one plate and as the person was like serving the food i was thinking oh good lord no this is so much food (laughs) for me to eat right now but uh, they were very nice. It's one of those places where the ordering system's not immediately obvious, and so uh, if if you're a newbie, anxiety and, inducing. Yes, but they were they were very nice and walked me through everything and didn't make me feel too weird. So, so that was nice. And I also got this like ginger sorrel drink, which was the most gingery drink I've ever had in my life to the point where it was just burning my insides and I couldn't even finish it. But I did appreciate the fact that it's probably helping to stave off any cold that might currently be attacking my immune system. So, yeah, definitely all around really good stuff. Can't wait to go back and try more of the dishes. They also had this this uh, pepper steak dish that they did, and they were putting a couple new things out that weren't out when I first got there. So that's Healthful Essence. That's in right there in Atlanta, Georgia. I can 100% get behind that ginger drink, I think. The more ginger, the better. Let it Make it burn. <laughs> I would love to see you drink this, Paul. It definitely felt like you were stripping your insides. and I mean, it was a glorious feeling, but it was it was spicier than any of the food. 
Andy, I'll have you know that I ran out of the the protein powder that I normally use recently, which is usually the Vega protein powder, the proteins and greens. So I ran out of that, and I just happened to have this this cheap discounted protein that I found at one point and bought because it was so cheap that it was just pure hemp protein, unflavored <laughs> hemp protein. And, and I needed something. So I, and I need, I needed to get some greens in there too. So I mixed hemp in water, in a glass of water, I missed mixed hemp protein and one of those green powder things that tastes just like you're straight up eating grass. I mixed those two things together. And then because I said, why not? Might as well go the hundred percent. I threw in a splash of apple cider vinegar to make it taste even worse. So that's what I'm dealing with on the normal basis. So bring on the ginger, bring on the ginger, Andy. Yeah. That sounds like it'd be a real step up from your usual, <laughs> <Yeah. in that laughs> my usual routine of raw tofu and gross brown watery liquids. Paul, when are you going to mix those, those gardening tenders back into the mix? Oh, they're they're back in, Andy. I've been I've been rotating between garden tenders, and I've actually been making a lot of scrambled tofu instead of just eating it raw. I've I've got my regiment down, and I'm I'm getting the the tofu scramble down pretty well too. Do you use any seasoning at all in your tofu scramble? Yes, yes, of course, <laughs> of course. I just picture you like mashing up a raw block of tofu. You haven't even turned on the pan. It's just cold tofu that you're smashing up. Don't think I haven't done that before. <laughs> is that what that like Incredible Hulk hand was for in the kitchen when I was last there? You just <laughs> use it to smash the tofu? <laughs> tofu smash. <laughs> yes. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Paul, we've gone off the rails so quick. Uh, I also stopped at V Greens, which was in Duluth, Georgia, by recommendation of Lee, who puts together the Atlanta Veg Fest, main organizer there. Solid recommendation from Lee there. It's like a, a vegan Pan-Asian kind of place. They had something that is pretty rare to find, which was a vegan hot and sour soup, and it was so well done. And and Andy, I'll have you know, I don't think I, I think I might have mentioned this when I got it, but I went to this restaurant months ago in Boston, and they had hot and sour soup, and I got it. It was a vegan place, and I got it be, only because I've heard you say on this podcast so many times, and you know, Paul, it's hard to find vegan hot and sour soup. Not because I've ever had hot and sour soup in my life before, so I was like, I feel like I need to utilize this and get it, and I got it, and I realized I don't like hot and sour soup. Uh, you know, it's not for everyone, Paul. <laughs> but I'm glad that you got it, Andy. Yes, me too. So that was V Greens in Duluth, Georgia. And then Atlanta, definitely the Beardos were showing up, so shout out to Terry, Ashley, Joseph, Brittany, Darren, Eva, and Jacqueline, who told me several times, Paul, the next time I see you, you need to pinch your cheeks, so... Next time these, you see me? Yes, these pinchers are coming for you. Oh, God. <laughs> His hands are like lobster claws. My pincers are going to be pincing those cheeks, Paul. <laughs> well, that all sounds very good, Andy. And and I'm looking forward to me, to seeing you this upcoming weekend and maybe getting some food with you. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Because I've eaten nothing. Nothing but scrambled tofu and gardein. Mm, it's a sad state of affairs in Philadelphia, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's just no options. So <laughs> it's a vegan wasteland. With that being said, let's move on into our news items. Andy, what do you got for us today? Yeah, this is not so much a news item as it is just kind of an observation because I feel like there's something is happening in the world of, of dairy products switching over to vegan versions of themselves. 
in these mainstream companies. And we've been witnessing this ice cream monaissance or something that's going on right now where like mm-hmm. every major brand is offering their vegan ice cream into the marketplace. It seems like the exact same thing is now happening for whipped cream, like the kind that comes out of a can. Because, yes, there has been the soya two whipped topping that's been around forever. That stuff's all right. There is the so delicious coconut whipped topping, which comes in a tub. It's kind of like a cool whip, which I love. My mom loves it. She's like, there's no reason to have whipped cream ever again because this stuff is so good. But as far as like the classic, I'm making an ice cream sundae and I want to put some whipped cream on top of it. That has really been lacking. And earlier this week, I saw that uh, 365, which is the Whole Foods store brand, they announced that they're putting out this coconut whip topping. And I was like, oh, this is really going to up my pie game for this holiday season. And a few days later, I saw that Trader Joe's announced that they're putting out their coconut whipped topping. And uh, there's an article over at popsugar.com that's all about it that we'll, we'll post a link to in the show notes. And I was like, okay, yeah, but these are these are brands that are known for having vegan options of stuff. And then earlier today, I saw someone post that Ready Whip, which is like a national store brand that's in every supermarket, is putting out their very own almond and coconut-based whipped cream in a can. Damn! So I don't know, I don't know what's happening and we're going to talk about the horrible evils of capitalism and veganism later on in this episode. But it just feels like dairy's days are numbered. Yeah, yeah. I think it even started before the ice cream. It started just with the almond milk and, and coconut milk. And, you know, you start getting all these new, not only the companies we've seen forever, like Silk, expanding their their domain into like coconut and then cashew and then cashew coconut and almond and and then we get new brands like ripple the only one that matters and then and then (laughs) then it moves on into the ice cream and now it's moving on into lip cream and it's really really cool i I think it's i think it's a good sign and i i feel like the meat replacement game it's doing it it's doing it too it's it seems to be expanding i'm seeing more and more different types of products happening it doesn't seem like it's catching on to the mainstream as much as the ice cream and the the replacement milks are yet, but hopefully it will it will catch up. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think like what can we learn from the success of the plant-based milks and now becoming their other counterparts like the ice cream, like the whipped cream. I, I guess cheese is still not as openly embraced by the population yet. But it's definitely coming it's coming a long way. But what is it? Because when I first went vegan, people acted like soy milk and almond milk was the weirdest possible thing that anyone could ever drink. And now it has become so normalized. So I'm wondering, what is it that allowed these products to bridge that gap and just become a very mainstream thing at this point? I don't know. And, and you know, I think I think even though I said I, I what I just said, I said what I just said. I don't know. <laughs> what did you say? I I I actually don't. Well, I do believe that the the milks, the non dairy milks, have taken off in the mainstream. I actually have less of a gauge of how popular the of how many non vegans are going out and buying, say the the non dairy ice cream, or how many of them are going to buy this whipped cream. I don't know if that's going to be a lot less than the number that are buying the the milks. But I mean, the fact that like Ben and Jerry's and some of these bigger names are offering it means that 
there is a substantial demand for it. So I guess that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, I mean, one has to, I guess, wonder, is the trend of all these companies offering these vegan ice creams, is it because they see that they're losing market share? Or is it just because they're trying to predict the trends and they're thinking, well, if this is going to take off, then we might as well have our foot in this market before it gets really huge. But yeah, judging by Ben and Jerry's, the fact that they expanded their flavor base for the for the vegan options, it, it makes me think that the market is there for this stuff. There are people purchasing it. I mean, if I was in a grocery store and I just saw like coconut whipped cream, it's not like it's blasting vegan all over the place. I might just be like, oh, that would be a really cool addition. Like coconut whipped cream would be really cool in my pumpkin pie or my apple pie or something like that. Yeah. So it might just be considered like, oh, that's an interesting flavor profile that I could add to my ice cream sundae. Yeah. But either way, it's, I don't know, the whole thing is just, just the fact that one right after the other has been announced this week. And the, the Trader Joe's one, apparently it's only $3, so it's not like it's some horribly expensive boutique brand thing. So mm-hmm. definitely definitely interesting to see this, this huge shift in the market that's been happening with, with the non-vegan dairy products over the last year. Makes me hopeful. Well, that's just a little... That's just me musing on a trend that I that I happen to notice. But let's get into some actual news. Paul, what you got mm-hmm. for us? So this is coming to us from express.co.uk slash news slash world. Italy bans all cir- uh, Italy bans all animals in circuses. And this is from November 8th, which is uh, only eight days ago. So pretty recent. Italy has voted to ban all animals in circuses and traveling shows in a landmark move applauded by animal rights campaigners. Rules on how Italy will implement phasing out all animals used in circuses will be set out within one year by a ministerial decree. There are 100 circuses in Italy and an average of 2,000 animals forced to perform in shows across the Mediterranean nation. The news comes on the heels of India recently banning the use of wild animals, making Italy the 41st country to pass a national law prohibiting animals in circuses. In 1998, bears, monkeys, tigers, panthers, and tigers... Oh my. Why why are tigers included twice in there? (laughs) (laughs) They double banned tigers. They double banned tigers. But anyways, all those... Maybe, maybe. So in 1998, all those animals were banned from being forced to perform for entertainment acts in India, but the use of elephants were banned in 2013, while last week the ban was extended to all wild animals. Several other countries, including Romania, Iran, and the Netherlands, as well as a number of U.S. cities such as Los Angeles, New York City, and Portland, Maine, have already introduced legislation that bans the use of wild animals in circuses. In England, the government has stated that it remains committed to a ban, but has given no indication as to when the legislation, drafted and scrutinized back in 2013, will be introduced. Wales and Scotland are also in talks to ban animals in circuses. What a nice piece of news. It is. This is a bit of good news. Obviously, this isn't the world going vegan. Not that I think that that would happen uh, overnight anyways, but it's still good news. (laughs) Some would say it will never happen, Paul. Some would, and we'll we'll see what else those people have to say. It's still good news, and I I, I guess the thing that I'm hopeful about is, much like the trend of vegan whipped cream, this definitely seems to be hashtag trending right now to kind of get animals out of the circuses. So, you know, hopefully that happens, and hopefully that leads people to have a greater 
appreciation of animal life in general, which would maybe snowball and lead to other things, much like I hope the uh, the whipped cream and the ice cream and the non-dairy milk leads to more vegan products being created and more being pushed into the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. I think this is just, it's just such a delightful piece of news. And I like that this article really puts in perspective how many other countries, the fact that, that Italy is the 41st country to pass a national law prohibiting animals in circuses is pretty awesome. And it also makes me feel like the U.S. is really behind on the time since it's only a few major cities that have really pushed anything forward on this. So, yeah, we've, we've you know, we've talked about the advances with circuses in the U S before, but now we've kind of, and with this article has expanded it out to the rest of the world, which is nice to, to also read about. And it's nice to read that, you know, people have been different countries have been banning animals from as far back as 1998. So that's good too. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, some people, the, the effective altruist crowd might say, well, this is only 2000 animals. This isn't, this is, but a mere, tiny drop in the ocean of animal cruelty that is animal agriculture. But I do think that things like this can help to shape the public perception of animals. And if we aren't going to see animals as entertainment, you know, I'm sure they'll still be in Italian films, but something like this could really start to make a difference in the public perception and hopefully start to change the value of of animals so we'll see we'll see what happens but i I definitely thought this would be a fun nice nice piece to include leading up to the holidays yeah and hopefully it at the very least for people that have never thought about these issues maybe it could be a you know a discussion starter or it, it kind of prompts them to think about something that maybe they've never thought about before yeah let's hope so so let's move on into our final piece of news andy what you got This is coming to us from Plant-Based News, and this is dated November 14th, 2017. World scientists warn, time is running out. We must move toward plant-based foods. So this is pretty interesting. This was widely reported on by a number of outlets. World scientists have issued a second warning to humanity 25 years after their first notice, urging the population to shift towards plant-based foods in a bid to avoid environmental destruction. They released this after they heard our episode last week. Yeah, they must. That must be it. <laughs> in a manifesto published in online international journal Bioscience, more than 15,000 scientists from 184 countries warned that humans are jeopardizing our future with environmental consequences likely to inflict substantial and irreversible harm on Earth. And a lot of that was in quotes coming directly from this report. The scientists highlighted that there needs to be change in order to save the planet, which includes a dietary shift towards vegan foods. The open letter comes 25 years after the first notice in 1992, when a mere 1,700 scientists issued a similar warning. And so the article goes on to say how in those 25 years, we've barely made any progress aside from stabilizing the stratospheric ozone layer. And it gives a lot of details about things that are hurting our environment, including animal agriculture and rainforest destruction, which is, of course, very closely tied to animal agriculture. And the article goes on to say, the scientists also stress, quote, we have unleashed a mass extinction event, the sixth in roughly 540 million years, wherein many current life forms could be annihilated or at least committed to extinction by the end of this century. So... It's a pretty, pretty solid decree that's going on right now. And this is something that scientists of basically any 
any walk of science can actually sign their name onto. Like if you go to the website, we'll we'll link that where you can read the actual report, read a little bit of that. And you can also basically sign up and be like, hey, I'm a scientist and I want to sign on to this whole decree. But 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 something that I found really interesting, Paul, was where they kind of list a lot of the things that we need to do to change. Because this is not just a report about, hey, everyone needs to go vegan. That's just sort of a piece of the puzzle that they're talking about. Obviously, the vegan news outlets are kind of latching on to that aspect of it because we all know agriculture pretty bad for the environment. But the article says that they that the study said by failing to adequately limit population growth, reassess the role of an economy rooted in growth, reduce greenhouse gases, incentivize renewable energy, protect habitat, restore ecosystems, curb pollution, halt defaunation, and constrain invasive alien species, humanity has not taken the urgent steps needed to safeguard our imperiled biosphere. Sounds like a pretty easy change for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I I thought this was really interesting because obviously the first thing that they recommend, limit population growth, ties directly into the last episode that we did. And so here is 15,000 scientists saying that, like, yes, our population grows. So here is 15,000 scientists saying, yes, our population growth as humans is an issue. It is something that we do need to work to limit. So obviously, you know, there's a, there's a lot we got to do there. And so people can revisit our last episode about that. But then they say reassess the role of an economy rooted in growth, which to me is they're trying to soften the blow. But essentially, they're saying capitalism needs to die because that is what that's what capitalism is. It is something that relies on infinite growth. But obviously, yeah. we're a planet with finite resources and we can't sustain infinite growth. That's interesting. I've never heard that phrased before or said by, you know, like a, a, in an academic kind of situation like this. It's it, it's almost one of those situations where you're like, well, hell, what can we do to to like actually deal with these things? A lot of them are fine to talk about theoretically, but what can we actually do to change our economy rooted in growth? I don't know. I don't expect you to have any answers, Paul, necessarily. I, I, no, I don't. And it's, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, when we ask people to go vegan, for, for many people, that's, that's a, a big lifestyle change. And, and I think, you know, we need to be understanding and empathetic of that and tailor how we, how we make this ask to the specific person because of these things. I feel like in the face of that list that you just read out, Andy, it just seems overwhelming and soul crushing and impossible, basically. Yeah. I mean, well, like a lot of them are things where you're like, okay, reduce greenhouse gases. Well, we know if we all adopt a plant based diet and maybe if we start using public transportation or, you know, whatever it might be. We all recycle, et cetera. Incentivize renewable energy. Okay, that's something that could be implemented by the government. Protect habitat, restore ecosystems. All of those things seem like they're like concrete actions that can be taken within our current system. I'm sure some might argue otherwise that our current system is not set up to value the restoration of ecosystems or something. But you know, all of those things to me are, are concrete steps that could be taken. I can envision what those steps look like. 
or I can I can I can have a, a general idea of what those steps might look like. But then when we talk about reassess the role of economy rooted in growth, I'm not sure. Those are all. Those are like things. Something that I agree with. I'm like, I don't think we should have an economy rooted in growth. How do we change that? I have yeah. no idea. I have no idea. I can talk about the theory of it all day long, but in terms of, it, it, I guess to me, it's it's almost what is the 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 on the streets activist, someone like you or I that wants to go talk to someone and explain to them why they should go vegan. What is what is that ask? what are you asking of the average person to do in that situation? And I don't know if it's just a lack of imagination on my part or it's just not being educated enough on what I could ask someone to do. But in terms of like changing a giant system, it's one of those things that feels really overwhelming. Yeah. I definitely don't think it's lack of imagination because I, I do think that this is something it's in, it's huge and incredibly difficult to come up with a, like you said, it's easy to think about the kind of easy in quotes, easy to think about the theory of why things, you know, certain things would be good and certain things are not good. But I feel like it's much harder to, to come up with the practical solution. Uh, and and I, I feel like, though, it's like it puts you in this weird situation, I think, that you were hinting at, Andy, where it's like if we educated people about the 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 the, the terrible conditions that animals in and how we shouldn't use them. And we went on this whole spiel about that. And then they were like, wow, yeah, you're right. So what can I do about this? And you're like, no idea. No, <laughs> no idea what we can do about this, but it really sucks. Yeah. So, so I mean, but maybe you're right. Maybe, or I mean, I'm sure people have ideas and I'm sure people have good ideas and I'm sure people have bad ideas, but I guess it's just about figuring out which ideas we think are the ones that are going to make a positive change as long as they're ideas in general paul <laughs> the the article does towards the end kind of conclude and talks about some solutions uh so i'm just gonna read that real quick solutions among these steps the manifesto highlights reducing food waste through education and better infrastructure promoting dietary shifts towards mostly plant-based foods Further reducing fertility rates by ensuring that women and men have access to education and voluntary family planning services, especially where such resources are still lacking. They could have just said uh, people instead of women and men, but whatever. Uh, so, the, <laughs> But those, those are all things to me that are not necessarily addressing that one thing about the economy rooted in growth, but these are all things that are like these are services we can implement these are programs we could use to educate people and i do think a lot of that the reducing fertility rates by ensuring people have access to education and all that that is stuff we were talking about at the end of our population control episode that so much of it is just sort of about empowering people to be able to make those choices and so hey good good for us paul <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have a question for you andy sure do you think that because like you were saying, vegan websites and stuff are, are latching on to this to be kind of like, ah, yes, yes, see, see, you should go vegan. This is why you should go vegan. Do you think that maybe this is a discussion for a full topic sometime, but do you think that trying to get people to go vegan from this perspective, from the environmental perspective, the environmentalist perspective – I don't know this I this this thought popped into my head that 
we feel so like we we individually have such a small contribution to the detriment of the environment that it would be harder for the average person to say you're right i i am going to make this change because down the line of production i am affecting the environment in this way so i should stop i i don't know i just feel like we are a few degrees more removed from damaging the environment than we are in hurting animals, which is why I I feel like people are going to be more, maybe I'm wrong, but people would be more likely to feel empathetic and, and feel like they can do something that's, that's going to directly affect animals by going vegan rather than I'm going to do something that's directly helping the environment by going vegan. Do you know, does this making sense at all? Yeah, well, I, th- I think that the environment is a more abstract concept to a lot of people. Yeah, I think that that's yeah that that's what I was trying to get at. That's what I was trying to get at. Be- yeah, because and I'm not just saying this because oh, so many people live in cities and they don't they're not out in the woods or anything like that. I'm just saying it because you can envision hurting a single animal. But if you envision, say, you know, like throwing a candy bar wrapper out your window and it goes into the woods, it's hard to really see that as like the worst thing in the world. Like, ah, it sucks. Maybe you're kind of a crummy person, but eh, whatever. Someone will pick it up. That damage could be undone. Or what? Like, is that really so bad that I just threw this one wrapper out the window? Whereas, like, yeah, you kill that one animal and that is an irreversible thing. And you can you can picture that harm. We all know what physical pain feels like. And we've all seen death, at least in films. And, like, we have a concept of what that is. But the environment is just this thing that's out there. And and I've said this on the show before. But I, I really don't think the environment matters except for the fact that it is something that houses sentient beings. Like, yeah. I, you know, like, I, I don't care about the well-being of a brick on the ground or like a building or or anything, you know, it's like, I don't care about the, I'm staring at a brick wall right now. <laughs> uh, I don't like, I, I don't care about those things, but if they then become really important to someone else's survival, then, then I think that it matters that I don't hurt that, you know, hurt that brick or whatever it might be. And so I think that it's interesting that when we talk about why people go vegan, we're like, Oh, it's for the animals, it's for the environment. Maybe it's for health. But to me, animals and the environment are the same reason. Like the only reason the environment matters is because animals are within it. I, I don't know if there, I don't think there's necessarily any intrinsic value in a tree or a rock or a stream or something like that, except that they're all part of an ecosystem that keeps sentient beings alive. I think some people would disagree with you. I would love to hear someone disagree with that. I, I, I don't have like the firmest stance on that, but I'd be curious to see someone make the argument that nature, if there was no animals within it, has some intrinsic value. Well, what about, you know, everyone that cares, quote, cares about the environment that isn't vegan or vegetarian? Like, what would, why would they say that? Why do they they care? care Why do they care? That's what I'm I'm asking you. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the the thing is, uh, my, my guess would be they care because it's something that we're just sort of supposed to care about. Or we care because it's something that if it if it goes downhill with the I'm you know, I'm just using the environment as a very general term, but that will affect us personally, so we don't like it. Or you know, I, to me, when I think about the environment, 
I think about, oh, there's an oil spill, and that means all these birds are covered in oil, or we put all this plastic in the ocean and sea turtles are choking on it. I don't, I don't think about like a polluted ocean, and I'm not like sad for the water. You know what I will say, though, Andy, is that I do think that some people... I think that some people, and it's like I don't think that this is. I don't think that this is a silly philosophy, or that this is a silly idea. I think it's just a different way of thinking. I do think that some people like view the the Earth as you know as a sentient being, and 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 it's every like the trees and the water and the forests and everything are a part of this one sentient being. And it's a very you know like spiritual type type way of thinking but i think that some people would in addition to to mourning all the animals that are affected by say an oil spill i think they would also mourn the the damage done to the waters themselves yeah i guess i'm i'm I'm, i would be curious to hear other perspectives on that and any any time i and maybe maybe this is my lack of imagination, Paul. But but anytime I think about any of those things, to me, anything like a forest fire burns down the habitat or the clear cutting of the trees or something. Every time it comes back to, well, that sucks because it affects beings that are within that habitat and that environment. And like, yes, I know that there are a lot of people that view the earth as its own kind of organism. But my intuition is that that's because it's a part of this ecosystem. It's a part of this circle of life and and all of, you know, sentient beings relying upon and like the earth is breathing and all these things. But it, it, it only matters because that sustains the life for those that can feel pain and are aware of their existence. Is I, I feel like this this might warrant a longer discussion at some point with looking more into the reasons people care about the environment and and what how that would maybe affect how we promote veganism in terms of when we talk about the environment yeah yeah i mean uh, this talking about this specific article we've gotten very far away from the point of the article or like this this event which has happened and its implications for the world but i think i get it's led to a much more interesting conversation and one that i think actually ties in very well to this article that we're about to discuss for the main discussion. But I think that in general, to bring it back to talk about this article just a little bit, I think it's a good thing. I'm glad that scientists are banding together, but if there's anything that like, say the debate around climate change has taught us is that even when the vast majority of scientists think something is a thing and that we need to change our ways because of it, when there's large corporate interests that are vested in things it's going to be really hard to make those changes but I, i'm glad that they're doing this as opposed to not doing this at all yeah yeah you heard it first everyone andy tabar thinks that this warning to humanity is a good thing <laughs> hot take <laughs> no i i i think that i think that it's it, the fact that it's happening is not good but this response I'm glad that they're getting this out there. You know, I would hope that some people take this seriously and make some personal changes. There are others, though, that might say, I make personal changes. I'm just going to eat meat all the time. (laughs) Yes, yes, including the author of the article that we're going to talk about today for our main discussion. So our, our main discussion, we're asking the question, 
Is a vegan world possible, or do humans just love the taste of meat too much? And, I, I mean, I think a lot of this ties into what we were talking about, Paul, because I think a lot of it is focused on how much do people actually care about the environment? Is the environment enough of a motivator? But uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's let's dive into this article here. The article is titled, Stop Pretending That All Americans Could Ever Go Vegan. Subtitle, There Are More Realistic Ways to Combat Climate Change. And this is actually dated November 16th, 2017, which is the day that we're currently recording this. This this came out like hours before we started to record, and it, I, I saw someone post it, and I went, this is perfect for today's show. And and before you go, Andy, just you know, just interesting to think about that the article that we just read, which was the world scientist warn, like we must move towards plant based diet, came out a couple days ago. And so this is almost it's I doubt that it is, but it's almost the timing makes it seem like a response to that. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right on that, Paul. There's definitely some interplay going on between the two here. So we're going to read we're going to actually read a good portion of this article it's not too long but definitely like every line i was like oh, paul and i could just talk about this for so long so the the very first thing before there's any body of text at all paul i'm not sure if you caught this but there's there's like a photo it's uh, ginger root cranberries <laughs> cashews lemon orange and some sort of dark leafy green just a nice photo of some food that looks tasty and the caption says some examples of foods you'll be resigned to if you give up meat. <laughs> I I I mean I had already read the I already read the the title of the article so I kind of already knew which direction it was taking, but then I read that that was the immediate first thing I read after reading the title I was like, yeah, this this person, this author is going to be a real uh a real jerk. Yeah, it definitely really lays out the attitudes that this author has towards plant-based foods right there in the beginning. But, I mean, I actually didn't know where this was going because stop pretending that all Americans could ever go vegan. To me, it could be an article about issues of food accessibility. You know, there's any number of things that it could be talking about, like the little exceptions that some people might have to make for some sort of medical emergency or eating disorder, whatever it might be. And then it, and then we got this, this thing that we're going to talk about instead, which is kind of, <laughs> just kind of disappointing. I was hoping for some nuanced discussion here but uh not so much but does bring up a lot of really good things for us to be talking about so the article begins there are five times as many lapsed vegans and vegetarians in the u.s as there are practicing ones five times most people 84 percent to be precise abandon their attempt at a plant-based diet and more than half of those lapses occur within a year or less a third of the quitters don't even make it three months so before we even get into this, Paul, we've talked about the rate of recidivism within veganism before, and this is kind of the number that often gets cited. It's certainly a number that we've cited as well, 84%. Like, we're, we're losing vegans almost as fast as we're making vegans. But this, the phrasing of this almost points to some of the issues with this specific number because, one, it, it lumps vegans and vegetarians together. Mm-hmm. And tell me what you think about this. I feel like those who decide to go vegan probably display more commitment to something, whereas vegetarian often, and this is not like shade at vegetarians, I think y'all are awesome, but 
are like more wishy-washy on the whole thing. Like I'm, I'm more likely to hear the attitude of, well, I'm vegetarian, but I don't care what you eat. than like a vegan saying that like vegans are much more committed to like a certain ideal than vegetarians are. Maybe I'm totally off on that. I think uh, I, if I had to guess, I would say on average, that would be a correct assessment. I think if you, if you looked at the number of vegans, for instance, I, I think if you looked at the number of people involved in animal advocacy, it would probably be more vegans than vegetarians. Yeah, or maybe not. Maybe not if maybe not if you include dog and cat rescues as part of animal advocacy. Well, not if anything. Not if a brother wolf animal rescue has anything yeah. to do with it, Paul. <laughs> yeah, true. So, so, but, but I do think I, I would guess on a whole as on on average, you are correct, Andy. Yeah, and then the other thing is that that was kind of interesting was. More than half of those lapses occur within a year, and a third of them are within three months. And I don't know, something about that kind of bothers me that, I don't know, I don't want to be like, you're not vegan enough, but I feel like if someone is three months or less into it, it's it's almost like they're not far enough into it to really know if it's for them, or it's, you know, it's not like someone that was vegan for five years and then stopped doing it, which of course happens. I know people that have been, you know, 10, 15 years into being vegan and they, then they stop. But to me, it's almost like the people are like, oh, I tried eating vegan for a day and I felt like I was going to die. So I stopped. Or the people that said I did it for like a week or two to me, it, to me, there's, there's some, I don't know what it is, but it feels different than someone that did do it for a year or more. Definitely. I, I, I think I kind of chalk it up to, and again, this is, not based on anything. This is just my my thoughts on the matter. I kind of chalk it up to, you know, someone went to Warp Tour and saw like PETA or someone, and they saw a video of animals in a slaughterhouse, and they they had this very intense emotional reaction to that, and said like, "Wow, I need to make this change," and they make the change, and then that emotion over a couple weeks or a couple months kind of fades out and then they're like, oh, I really want to eat a hamburger right now. And they don't have that same emotion kicking in to say like, no, this is not what I should be doing. So then they just go back to eating one hamburger and then that kind of leads to two hamburgers and then they just kind of spiral back to eating meat. Yeah. To be, because this is all self-reported, to me, it just kind of feels like they interviewed people like, oh, I tried being vegan and maybe it was for three months. Maybe it was just for a week or maybe it was a situation like you're saying, Paul, where there was like this intense desire to be vegan that just sort of faded away after the shock of the video that they saw wore off. And not to say that there aren't people that there aren't plenty of people that that go vegan and then stop. But it almost feels like seeing these details about this specific number makes me question if the rate is truly as high as as people seem to claim. Yeah. And and, you know, I, I think on my um, if if my assumption is correct, I think it about why people maybe go vegan for a short amount of time because they have some intense emotional experience. I think it kind of it, it, it leads to the the, ne- the necessity to have a community and support through your, through your transition, because that could be the thing that keeps you on board. And especially having a community, because I think I'm not going to spoil what's coming up next in the article, but I think the article does point to a couple fact, a couple reasons why people have trouble 
being or staying vegan. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So also Andy, before you read the, before you start reading the next part, I just want to point out that I, I was not a fan of how this author calls these people quitters. And then in the next line that you're about to read says, but I'm not here to judge people. <laughs> I'm not here. I'm not here to judge these worthless quitters. <laughs> they they need to go get burgers from that. Oh, what was that restaurant that we talked about? Where it was like the the nasty boy burger. <laughs> the nasty burger. Yeah. I'll have the. Uh, I have no willpower burger. Thank you very much. I'm just a quitter. Side of fries. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Anyway. I don't I don't want this to read like I'm in denial of the fact that perhaps as a movement, we're not doing as good of a job as we need to to retain vegans. I think there's so much work that we can do in that regard and putting a lot more emphasis on that as opposed to just making the vegans and then kind of abandoning them to their own devices. But it does make me wonder about these numbers. And and, you know, we always when we talk about these numbers, it is said that those who do it for ethical reasons are much more likely to stay vegan. And so I think that's kind of one of the things we're going to talk about is does the environmental argument really hold up for people? Does the health argument hold up for people? But anyway, let's... Uh, before you go on also, Andy, I just want to say, I just want to point out our our own bias when we're reading an article like this because like you've said, we've totally mentioned this statistic before. And when we mention the statistic as two vegan dudes, we're kind of just like, come on, vegans, this rate is so high. We need to do more to, to help this, the rate of recidivism. But then when we read someone like critiquing it, like this person is, we're trying to poke holes in it and be like, well, is it really even as high as, as the person is saying it is? So I <laughs> well, just think it's, I yes. just think it's kind of funny. Well, yes, but the thing that has changed is this additional information about the time periods of the lapses. True. I think our tones would still be a little bit different when we're talking about this article versus when we're talking about how, as vegans, we can prevent recidivism. You are not wrong, Paul. You're not, <laughs> not wrong by any stretch. So with that said, <laughs> let's dive into the rest of the article. Far be it from any of us to judge those people. Going vegetarian is tough, and going vegan is even harder. And it's a noble effort. The food industry treats animals terribly, and the environment would certainly be better off if we all gave up meat. A recent study in the journal PNAS reiterated this. It found that if every American went vegan, we'd reduce our annual carbon emissions from 623 million to 446 million tons. That would be a massive step for a world that just learned its emissions are still rising despite efforts to mitigate global warming. But here's the thing. We're not all going to go vegan. So why, do we keep, <laughs> so why do we keep talking about how great it would be if we did? It's an unattainable goal, plain and simple, especially in America. The study that produced those statistics about how many people bail on meat-devoid diets also found that most lapsed vegetarians disliked the way their choices made them stand out from the crowd. 41% of current vegans and vegetarians said they didn't like that part of their lifestyle, while 11% found it too difficult to be, quote, pure with their diets. Some of them even admitted that meat still tempts them. And then the article kind of goes on to just sort of detail how this this idea of helping the environment is an abstract idea and it's not powerful enough to overcome the aroma of a grilled steak. And then it does mention what I said earlier, that those who stick with it are usually motivated by ethical reasons. And the article 
makes the assumption that basically anyone who watches the news knows how bad animals are treated. Um, I feel like a lot of people probably don't watch the news nowadays, but I'm sure they could extend that to anyone that's been on Facebook, has seen a video shared around. So it's kind of making the assumption everybody knows what happens to animals, but most people don't change. Only only 2% of the nation is vegan, according to this article. Obviously, that number, some people have higher, some people have a little bit lower, but let's go with 2%. It's a pretty commonly cited number. Uh, and the author says that they've seen all the documentaries, but they're still not vegan, and, and concludes by saying, if I had the willpower to do it, I'd give up meat tomorrow. Vegetarianism and veganism are just ethically-minded versions of things that we can't stick to. Diets. They simply don't work. We can't abide by such strict rules forever unless our convictions are really strong. Because things we're denied feel ever more appetizing. Literally. Your brain becomes overly responsive to food, making you crave the very thing you know you shouldn't have. Once you have a burger, you assign a greater reward value to it. Um... there's nothing wrong with pondering pure hypotheticals but your takeaway from such a study shouldn't be that it's time you guilted yourself into going vegan if the prospect of a vegan plant-based diet makes you groan perhaps try starting with a more realistic goal instead we could all do meatless mondays for a start it's a lot easier than eliminating burgers from your diet and the article also does go on to talk about the potential of lab-grown meat and talks about sort of the energy usage of various types of meat and how it's a lot less emissions. You know, Andy, one thing that one thing that you had mentioned a little while ago in this article that I wanted to talk about was because I had I had kind of teased this when I said, you know, this article does it gives legitimate reasons why it might be difficult to be vegan. And what this author says is that going vegan can be tough because you feel uh, let me see how this person puts it because you feel like you're making a choice that stands that that makes you stand out from the crowd and for most people most people don't want to to feel that way they don't want to feel like the other and like they said 41% of current vegans and vegetarians said they didn't like that part of their lifestyle and I feel like that's completely understandable and I I, I just I like I don't think that the author should really be using that piece of information the way that they are like just because yeah this part of it stinks the author's kind of saying yeah and and look how difficult it is so why even do it i, I feel like that's kind of the argument that they're making but I, I don't know i just feel like the the argument that just because something is unpopular means that you shouldn't do it i feel like that's not a good that's not a good argument and and really most you know of obviously as you know we've said plenty plenty of times we don't really like to compare veganism with other social justice issues necessarily but it is it is one of these issues and i feel like if you look throughout these issues throughout history most of them are very unpopular at first you know yeah and i think what's kind of interesting about this specific thing being said it's it's weird that of all the things that could be pointed to like oh it's hard to find food or it's like all of those things that that people could say find hard this is like the major example that's sort of sort of driven home in the article of people don't like to feel isolated and like the weirdo in the crowd 
and yeah, I can certainly relate to that. Like I like to blend in as much as possible. I don't like sticking out. I, I you know, I, I get that. Like people like to feel like what they're doing is the social norm. I think that's, that's kind of why it's important for us to point out to be enthusiastic about veganism becoming really sort of normal and mainstream right now is to sort of give people that impression, but also give them the realistic expectations of like, yeah, it's still going to suck if you go home to your family and they're having a totally not vegan, you know, holiday meal or something like that. Like, I think it's important that we, we are realistic with people about that stuff, but also paint an optimistic picture. But, to me, this is this is something that can change or this is something that can be helped with, you know, having your vegan group, having your online group, making new friends and the vegan community, having more of a sense of community with those that are new and just joining the movement, maybe aren't quote unquote perfect with everything yet. So it, to me, that's like a weird thing, because I feel like this is something that could could be changed. And it's kind of like. It's basically saying not a lot of people do it, and when people do it, they don't like that not a lot of people are doing it, so then they stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I also feel like this person has... I feel like they have a very... <laughs> despite saying that they don't, I feel like they have a very judgmental opinion about vegans and how vegans... Like, their lifestyle and how vegans eat and what vegans eat. Uh, just from that, like, that... that picture at the beginning with the caption some examples of foods you'll be resigned to if you give up meat most meat eaters are eating all those foods that were pictured in those in that picture as well so i i feel like this person is definitely coming into coming into this discussion with the bias of oh i'm gonna i'm these i I would have to completely change you would have to completely change your lifestyle if if you go vegan, you're not going to be eating any of the same things. You're going to be eating. You're going to be eating vegan foods. You're not going to be eating the foods that you're eating now. It's this completely different thing. And yes, you do need to make changes, but no, you're not going to be giving up a hundred percent of the foods that you eat. You're going to, depending on how much meat or non-vegan stuff you eat, you're going to be giving up a part of it. But many of the same foods that you eat now, you you would still be eating when you're vegan. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that we don't even phrase it like giving up just so much as like you're switching over to a different version of the thing. Yeah. And that that's like it almost makes me feel like that picture is like this is what you'll be resigned to if you're vegan and then it like zooms out and you see like billions of types of food because it's yeah. like yeah, you're not you're not resigned to anything. You're just resigned to not causing harm to to sentient beings, you know. Yeah, but, they're definitely coming at it with at a, with 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 the tone of this is the most difficult thing you would ever do, so don't do it. Which sort of reinforces the point of the article. It's it's almost like this self defeating thing, where if someone if someone starts to go vegan and they say they're starting with with food, right, and they just go into it like oh, I'm just resigned to all these like this small selection of food. All I, all I can have is cranberries and cashews now, and it just, <laughs> you know it just it it feels like that person's not going to be happy giving this a shot if if they're framing it in their mind in terms of these are what I'm resigned to. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. But but Paul, let me let me ask you this this question. Let me bring it back to this idea of willpower. The author says if I had the willpower, I would be vegan. And I, this is something I do hear a lot from from people when I talk about these issues. They're like hats off to you. You have so much willpower. You have so much conviction. I don't think what happens to animals is good, but I just, I just can't do it. I don't have the strength to do that. 
do you think going vegan is a matter of willpower? I think that, you know, I think that there will be like, I can speak from my own personal experience. I think that when, especially when you're beginning to go vegan and you're still getting used to the transition, you're used to switching foods out. I think that there will be times when you are tempted to eat things and, and temptation does have to deal with, does have to do with willpower. And, you know, it's like, different people have different relationships with foods and some people's are fine and some people's are much more difficult. So I, I think that aspect is going to be different for different people. I, so yes, I do think that there is an element of willpower, but I don't think that it's necessarily the, the deciding factor between whether someone can, can be vegan or not, because I, I, I do think that there's something in, in again, in supporting other people as they make their transition, and and not ragging on those people if they are trying to be vegan, and a week into it they they eat something that's not vegan. I, like I think that there's an incredible amount of importance in continuing to support these people, even if they you know even if they have some slip ups, even if they they try to go vegan, realize that it's really, really difficult for them. And, and instead they do, I don't know, like vegan after four until four, whatever that one is. And, and just, you know, continuing to support people in the best way that you can, because I think that that has a big, I, I think that that could have a big impact on how in those specific moments when someone is tempted, when they when their willpower is questioned and, and maybe they make the decision to do the thing that they don't really want to do, maybe they choose to eat that hamburger or something like that. You know, it's like I think that can affect how you think about the whole thing. I, I think that if you are faced with that situation and you really don't want to eat it, but it just looks so good and you end up eating it, I think that in that moment, it can have an incredible impact on, on your, your mentality surrounding this choice. So I, I think that those are the moments where it's crucial to have a great support system. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that a support system can definitely get people through moments where they feel like their, their, their willpower is lacking. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just never really thought about veganism in terms of willpower for me. And obviously, like you said, when you're first going vegan, there is sort of, there's something that pushes you over that hump where you're, you're considering it and then you decide to just finally do it. And I guess that's willpower, but to me, it's almost more like motivation than willpower. And maybe that's just an issue of semantics, but this article really, it says it straight out. Like all vegan and vegetarian is, is, is like altruistic, versions of things that we can't stick to diets. And one, I don't love that the article constantly sort of conflates vegan and vegetarian because I feel like they're two different things. And as we already said, I think there's very different motivations for someone to go vegan than to go vegetarian. Obviously there are people that go vegetarian because they don't want to eat animals, but I think the motivation for someone to go vegan and adopt this sort of all-encompassing ethic because it's not just the food, whereas vegetarian is just the food, you know, I I think that it it does a disservice to lump those two things together. But I also don't ever think of veganism in terms of a diet, and I guess this is maybe one of the reasons why we have issues with veganism and plant-based eating being, being framed as like a health argument 
because for me as someone that has like struggled with weight, you know, my whole life and I've done diets and I've lost weight and I've gone back and I've felt great doing something for four months and then I stop all of a sudden. And, and for me being vegan has never felt like that. It's never felt like I'm withholding something for myself. It's always felt like I'm in this land of abundance where there's tons of vegan options and I'm doing something and I feel like my actions are aligned with my ethics and mm-hmm. so I feel like the author has really chosen to frame what veganism is in a really ineffective and unhelpful way. But I also think this is how the vast majority of the public views veganism. And I, you know, like it's a diet. Like people always say, oh, that's so hard. I can never do it. I don't know how you do it. I can't stick to a diet. And I, I think that, you know, when we allow articles like this and, and people with this view to sort of control the narrative of how veganism is framed, that it is just a diet, that's a that you're restricting yourself, you're withdrawing things from your from your food choices, it does a great disservice. And I think that it's really going to harm us so much in the long run. And we have to actively combat that as much as we can. No, I 100 percent agree with with everything that you just said. Um, I do. Th- and it's like. We've talked about the, the diet thing so many times before, but I don't know. It's a thought that I just had that I don't know if I've, I've said this before is that I feel like when you when you boil it down to a diet, like I think when someone thinks about going on a diet, then I, I, I do think the 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 idea of willpower is something that pops up in people's minds. A diet is something that is a diet is something that is abnormal from your normal eating routine and is something that is difficult to stick to. I feel like that's what people think about diets. People think about having the willpower to stick to a diet and and eating differently than they normally would. And I think that if that's how people think about veganism, it it will automatically kind of instill a level of difficulty for them to be like, oh, I couldn't do this because that's going to require such great willpower. It's going to require me to give up all these things because that's what most diets are. They're like, I'm giving up these things. I'm going on the, the paleo diet. So I'm giving up blah, 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 and blah, 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 and carbs. And, and I'm going on the Atkins diet. So I'm giving up blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And so when I think it's, it's natural then that what people who do think about veganism as a diet, they say, Oh, I'm going on a vegan diet. So I'm giving up animal products and, dairy and blah 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 and 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 i do think that that's it's just so important to get that shift away from it being a diet because for most people diets aren't things that are permanent they're they're things that you do you get some effect or you don't and then you stop doing them i I think that's how most people see diets as something that's not permanent Yes, definitely. That's probably a very defining characteristic of a diet. The two things you were pointing out is a restriction of something. Oh, I'm trying this diet, which means I can't eat this. And then something that has a finite end point. It's like a thing you do because you're trying to lose weight to get into a tuxedo or, you know, you're trying to look good for some photo shoot or it's beach season. And I just got to do this for three months and I'll be good for the beach or whatever it might be. And, and I know a lot of people talk about like, you don't need a diet, you need a lifestyle change, um, you know, which is something that's more like, that's like in, uh, you know, a, a habits that are like learned over time and adopted into a way that doesn't feel like you're restricting it. You're just sort of changing the way that you are. 
And so I think to me, Paul, I remember we did some interview on a podcast. I'm totally blanking on the name right now. And, and the person that interviewed us did ask that, like, how do you, how do you stick with it? And we were like, well, we don't think of it as like a diet. It's just, it's, it's who we are. It's our ethics. And you don't, you don't cheat on your ethics. And, um, and I guess that's just, to me, that kind of sums up this whole thing is it's, you know, we can't be framing this like a diet. So, and, and I, I think that for many vegans, I'm not going to say for most vegans, because I think it depends on your community. I think it depends on uh, your accessibility to vegan foods. But I do think that for many vegans, after a certain amount of time being vegan, it shifts from being something that feels like it's difficult, that transition phase to just becoming your lifestyle and and it, and no longer feeling like a, a restrictive diet if that's how it first initially felt for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And and I remember when I first went vegan, like, yes, it certainly, there was times I'm like, oh, I can't eat this thing. But it was almost more a sense of curiosity and wonder in exploring the things that I could eat. Like, I remember purchasing a vegan cookbook and I learned to make my own granola and I was trying this and I made the tofu lasagna and it was more about like exploring things and finding new things as opposed to I'm not going to eat chicken anymore. I'm not going to eat milk anymore. All, all of those things. And I feel like it's really important that we frame it in that way. Were you listening to Rusted Root when you were making that granola? You freaking hippie. <laughs> it was delicious granola. No, I, I'm, I'm just I'm purely jesting you. I, I love granola so much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome so there's there's a little bit more to this article that i do want to get into but the up to what we've read so far it ends with saying hey we could all just do meatless mondays for a start uh it's a lot easier than eliminating burgers from your diet so paul like what do you make of this idea where people say the world is not going to go vegan or specifically in this article america is not going to go vegan what do you make of that assertion? And then do you agree with the conclusion that like, well, the world's not going to go vegan. So we might as well ask for a shorter step. Does this put us in bed with the reducitarians of the world? If, if we resign ourselves to the fact like, well, okay, everyone's not going to go vegan. So we might as well ask for something that is less than what we actually want. Well, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption about the author here and, and I apologize for that. If that's unfair to the author, but I, would wager that this is not someone that practices meatless Mondays. I would, uh, you did not read this line, but there's one line about they brag how much meat they eat in a week. I believe. Is that yeah. correct? I, 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 I ate like a, whatever, five pounds of hamburger yeah. and like a porterhouse steak or something. I, was like, I didn't take that to mean I eat this all the time, but I have done this was how I kind of read it. But, I, I guess I, I just I I feel like that this person does not practice meatless Mondays and and that this was more that line of including meatless Mondays. I didn't like the ask. I didn't like the ask. Like I'm not I am not 100 percent against meatless Mondays, but I feel like the way that this person is asking it is like. Well, you don't really need to do anything because it's so hard, but you know, if you want to try something, just just do this and that's good enough. I feel like that's the kind of that's the tone that they had. And so yeah. I didn't I didn't appreciate that. 
Yeah, and the, and the article, and we'll get into this once we're done with this little discussion, but the article then kind of goes on to really undercut that idea and is kind of like, eh, whatever, you can just do whatever you want, sort of. Yeah. But, I mean, does this also, would this also point, like, even if you're sort of, if you can remove yourself from the the author's seeming apathy, Paul, <laughs> do, do, like, what do you make of this idea? Well, the world's not going to go vegan, so we should just shoot for Reducitarian or Meatless Monday, or, or even from the activism side of things. Does it mean, well, we can't get empty cages, so we should work on those welfare reforms, those single-issue campaigns, and you know, do what we can there because the world's not going to stop eating animals. So we might as well make the animals more comfortable. Well, I, I think we saw a, a great implementation of meatless Mondays in one of our recent news articles talking about how all the schools, I, I think it was a bunch of schools in New York implementing meatless Mondays. Yes, indeed. And like, I think that that's the type of stuff that I like to see with, with meatless Mondays because you're not like we, like I said, when we discuss that article, you're not going to get an entire school to go vegan overnight. If, if, unless it's an entire school made out of vegans, <laughs> the, the building is made out of vegans, unless it's entire, it's an entire school <laughs> filled with vegans, you're not going to get that school to go vegan overnight. So I think that those are almost like systemic changes. Having meatless Monday as a systemic change, I think is, can be incredibly effective I think that the vegan education should still be pushed. I don't think that we should be reducing our ask. I think that we should still ask for veganism. I think that people that choose to try meatless Mondays should still be supported and, and applauded for, for their, the beginning, hopefully what is the beginning of their, their transition into eating less meat or eating no meat at all. So I, I think that it's all about like, it's, it's about how it's framed. And I don't like when it's just framed as you could go vegan, but that's really hard. So just do this instead. Just do this. Don't it's it's very it's a non growth mindset sort of framing of this whole and this. And that's how I feel about that's how I feel about a lot of this article is it's very non growth mindset. It's it's this thing is hard, so it's not worth doing. I know that this thing is. I know I should be making these changes, but I'm not going to make these changes. And I feel like I, it's it's a very pessimistic attitude to have. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think as far as does this idea of the world's never going to go vegan, Americans aren't going to go vegan, so you shouldn't ask for a vegan world because it's unrealistic and it's just like some hypothetical that's not going to help anyone. I I think I still stand by the idea of if we still push for a vegan world, these lesser things will happen. Like if we say to people, the best thing you could possibly do is eliminate all animal products from your diet. And they think, well, I could never do that, but maybe I could do a little bit less, you know, as opposed to just asking for the bare minimum that we can hope for someone to do. I still stand by that philosophy. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be people asking for less, but I think as long as they put in the context of, Ultimately, veganism is the best thing that we could possibly do. I think that that can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. All right. So let's let's then move on into the next little, hey, you could do this instead. So the article, so it was saying, oh, you could do Meatless Monday. It's a lot easier than eating the burgers. Then it says, hey, maybe we could eat lab-grown meat, which is, you know, again, it's it's something I've said before, but it's it's curious how people really fixate on eating lab grown meat when it's not something that's readily available on the market yet. But 
vegan versions of meat are readily available on the market now, especially things like the Beyond Burger that are that are just like there. And so why not list that as a possible option? But I digress. <laughs> the article then sort of concludes by saying, or just keep on eating exactly what you've been eating and focus on other areas of your life. Dropping just one transatlantic flight per year saves more than twice the carbon dioxide emissions saved by a plant-based diet. So does buying green energy for your home. Driving a more efficient car saves more than a ton of carbon dioxide per year per person. And going car-free saves upwards of two tons. You're probably more likely to do all of those things, minus giving up your car, than you are to never eat a ribeye again. So, Paul, mm-hmm. my first my first question for you is, how many transatlantic flights are you taking every year, and how many are you willing to give up? <laughs> I've taken two round trips in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that that is transatlantic across the ocean. Yes, yes, I have I have taken two round trips in my life as well. So, not a lot of wiggle room for knocking those transatlantic flights. <laughs> <laughs> out of my life um and also i will say remember we we brought up the the environmental impact of air travel before and and a lovely listener wrote in with some resources saying like yeah air travel is not great but actually when you factor in how many people are actually flying that like sort of the the detriment to the environment is a little bit overblown compared to what people are saying so you know a transatlantic flight from from new york to the uk that's like six hours i think so it's not like Definitely burning a lot of fuel there, but I think that the the author of this article might be overblowing the benefit of cutting out that one transatlantic flight. But it and, did, and oh. and I feel like uh, people, that, like people that are in a position where dropping a transatlantic flight is a is a possibility. It's not something that's like, oh yeah, I've been planning this vacation for a really long time, or I'm going on this once in a lifetime trip. I feel like that's what it is for most people. So the people that can drop one of these flights are probably either doing it for business or have <laughs> a lot of money. And and <laughs> as as we know from one of the other articles we talked about recently, are probably having a an incredibly bad of impact on the environment in in that way and other ways. Yeah, I mean the, so that had me researching how how many people are flying? How often are they flying? Uh, the average American takes one or less flights per year, mm-hmm. and and then um, about sixty percent of people like don't have like never flown or like don't fly at all. Generally speaking, I found this one article at Skift that said sixty two percent of adults reported not traveling at all in the last year. So so obviously we're talking an average here. There's people that aren't flying at all and then there's people that are making up for it probably business people have to fly over the place most often and they're 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 taking several flights per year but it to me it's like when i think about what i can ask someone to do if i say hey stop flying (laughs) to the uk so much and be like okay that's cool i'm not doing that versus hey three times a day you're eating animal products and that's having a really bad impact on the environment it's like I don't know. It just seems like such a weird, weird scapegoat. Like, oh, just stop flying over the UK all the time. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a real. It's like lobbing. The, the, this author's like lobbing this one to people. Like, hey, don't fly as much. And then the majority of people reading, over half of the people reading this are going to be like, I didn't fly at all last year. I'm doing. I'm doing a great job. 
Yeah, and and so it's like, let's let's not ignore the fact that okay, maybe the best option is to be vegan and also not fly all the time, or you know, whatever extra thing that's being, you know, because it says get it a, what does it say? Driving a more fuel efficient car, things like that. It's like, let's not pretend like it's either or. Like, okay, yes, we can be vegan and get a more fuel efficient car. We can be vegan and ride a bicycle. We can be vegan and recycle, whatever it might be. So it's kind of weird that the article's like, you can just do these other things instead of. And I also think about like, okay, obviously the cost of flying a, tra- a transatlantic flight is not cheap. That's something that, as you've pointed out, Paul, is not necessarily accessible to everybody. Even air travel within the U.S. can be expensive. And I think about how expensive it is for people to trade in their cars and to get like a Prius or an electric vehicle. And all of these things are they're sort of geared towards people that have a lot more disposable income and a lot more economically advantaged, financially advantaged than than others. Yeah. And and I guess going off of the article we talked about last week saying that the most wealthy are the ones with the highest impact. It's like, okay, yes, those are the people that can afford to make the changes and they should make the changes. But as far as like this, like if this article is like, here's what we can do to make changes, most of those things aren't something that someone could immediately do right now. Whereas someone could immediately switch over to eating plant-based foods and, and commit to the fact that next time I buy shoes, I'm going to buy vegan shoes and I'm going to stop going to the rodeo, whatever it is. And it just, the article is just kind of like, it's basically just feels like it's a get out of jail free card for people that don't want to change. I also, I also feel like even though the author says, cause the author does say like drive less or give, or, uh, switch to riding a bicycle and then they do say you're probably more likely to do all these except giving up your car so they even say that but still i feel like giving up your car in ter- to, to trading in your car for a bicycle is less accessible f- for for most for many people than going vegan like unless you live in a, in the united states unless you're living in the city i can't imagine people in most small towns not having cars where they they would have to drive or they would have to bike, you know, like a, many miles every single day back and forth to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this whole thing had me, uh, and this whole thing reminded me of something that happened a while ago. It's a statement that Michael Pollan made, which was basically a vegan driving a Hummer is better than a meat eater driving a Prius. And it turns out not, not true. Hummers are pretty bad for the environment. But I, I found this great article at uh, MNN.com. We'll put a link to that in the show note, which said, the Prius driving vegan versus the meat-eating bicyclist, who's the better environmentalist? And so it talks about all of these things, and, and it goes back to the study that Michael Pollan was talking about, and it looks at the numbers, and it ultimately did say that a vegan driving a Prius was was better for the environment than the meat eater that rides the bicycle. But it also talks about how, well, there's all these factors. It depends what, what type of animal flesh you're consuming and, and how far the, the vegans driving in the Prius and like all of these things. But I don't know, I guess to me, it's just sort of, it's almost the same thing with the health argument, Paul, when we were talking all about what the health and then the debunkings came and then the debunkings of the debunkings and so on and so forth. And it's just one of those things where like, you just like throw your hands up in the air. You're like, I I don't know. I just don't want to hurt animals. 
and it, to me it feels like the same thing with the environment it's like it's like yeah there's some things that are clearly better to do but do we really want to get down to this nitty-gritty of like well what if the meat eater does this and recycles and uses their tote bag everywhere they go instead because does that mean they can kill a couple more animals and to me it just feels like it's like uh, i don't know if the environment is is like the best motivator because you can find these ways where you can sort of squeak by and be like, well, it's okay for me to kill three animals because that's not as bad as the vegan that does this thing. Yeah. I feel you. So I don't know. It's all, it's all, it's all just frustrating. And it makes me wonder the value of framing these arguments in terms of their emissions and I guess this is what you're talking about last week with the environmental factors for population controls. Like, well, what if someone comes up with something that's more efficient, but it happens to use animals? Then do we switch over to that? And it, was I un- unknowingly was I foreshadowing this this uh, <laughs> <laughs> this article? Did I did someone did this author listen to our last episode and then decide to not be vegan anymore and do this stuff instead? It might be. It did come out. Well. Yeah, the episode came out yesterday. This article came out today, so that seems like the most likely thing, Paul. My God. <laughs> I have to reevaluate all my life choices. Yeah, so, but, Paul, my, quest, my question is, how many vegans are actually vegan for the environment? Because when they talk about these rates of recidivism studies, they just talk about people doing it for health or for ethics. And I guess maybe environment's included in ethics, but to me, I always read that as for the animals. So I'm wondering how many people are out there like hardcore vegan strictly because of the environment. I would love to hear from any listener that that is their sole reason for being vegan or that's the reason why they started being vegan. I think that there are probably some real. So I think that there are probably people who like fighting for environmental justice is their thing. That's their main thing. And they've realized that eating meat is terrible for that. And so they've given up meat and maybe they've realized that the the animal industry as a whole is terrible for the environment. So they've gone vegan. And if that's your main thing, I bet when people ask why you're vegan, you would say it's for the environmental and it's for the environment. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to see what those numbers actually are, but... I don't know. I feel like it'd be interesting to talk to someone too that like that's that was their thing. Like they don't even, not that they don't care about the animals because I'm sure that they care about the animals as well, but like that's why they they know with 100% certainty they're vegan for the environment reasons. It'd be interesting to know, you know, some of their motivations and 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 how they how they choose to promote veganism to other people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess going back to what I was talking about during the article about all the scientists with that declaration, why is it that they care so much about the environment if they don't care necessarily about the animals? Or is there kind of a separation between the animals that are raised and slaughtered for food versus the ones that are sort of natural, indigenous to the to the the quote unquote like environment as like you know, the chipmunks and the squirrels and the birds, all of these things, is it sort of a separate thing to them? For me, whenever I read one of those articles where it's like scientists warn that like Earth cannot sustain our current environment use, I always kind of read that those scientists are saying these things because uh, for human reasons, like I always read it as 
we're going to destroy the environment, which means that we, the humans, will not be able to live on it anymore. Yeah. Like, I think, what was even, what was that? Uh, yeah, the first line is scientists have issued a second warning to humanity. You know, it's like, hey, humans, like, if you don't mess up, you're you're not going to be around for much longer. So, I don't know, maybe I'm being pessimistic about this, but I always think that when they issue these sorts, when scientists say these sorts of things, they don't really care about the animals. They just care about, they care about the environment only in so much as we will not be able to exist if we don't have an environment to exist in. Yeah. No, I, I think that's probably a pretty accurate assessment of the situation. I wouldn't be surprised if there's plenty of, in, of, of the scientists that are also concerned for the, the life that, you know, the sentient beings that live in the environment. But I, I'd imagine it's first and foremost a human concern. Yep. <sighs> so you got you got anything else to say, Paul? I don't think so. I think I think I've uh, said everything I want to say about this. Yeah, I think we've run this well dry. Which is going to happen if uh, we keep eating meat. <laughs> this is true, but not you or I. Not you or I. <laughs> so, Andy, uh, you know. <laughs> What do we got to say to the people? <laughs> we we got to say, we want to know what you have to say about this. Check out that article. We'll post it in the show notes at thebeardvegans.com. Let us know what you think. Send us an email, thebeardvegans at gmail.com. Definitely always love hearing from everyone. We got the Instagram. We got the Facebook. So hit us up. Say hello. And if you're feeling kind, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes because that is our lifeblood and it helps people <laughs> discover us. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. And do you have any events coming up, Andy? Oh, we, we, you and I, we certainly have an event coming up. The next one will be December 8th and 9th. They'll be at the Compassion Fest Holiday Bazaar in Hamden, Connecticut. And then the 9th, of course, as a a reminder, maybe our next, our last reminder perhaps, is uh, we'll be doing our live podcast at 5 p.m. on December 9th. And it's free and it's Hamden, Connecticut. December 10th, I'll be at the Vegan Market in Brooklyn, New York. December 17th, Paul, you're going to be doing the Philly Vegan Pop Flea at the Tattooed Mom in Philadelphia. And same day, I'll be doing the Vegan Pop-Up in Morristown, New Jersey. And that is our final events for the year. At both of those, you'll find me or Paul behind the Compassion Company table. And you can be find... so close to each other. I know. It's so close. And uh, you can find all the dates, deets, and links for those at CompassionCo. It's CompassionCo.com. And uh, that's all I got to say, Paul. I, I, you know, one of the solutions that was not listed in this article was, you know, instead of driving a Prius or, or doing meatless Mondays, uh, you could just walk around muttering the following seven words. <laughs> we are the Bearded Vegans signing off.
But on my way in, I did get to stop at a place I hadn't even heard of at... uh, And in the last week, it seems like the exact same thing is happening for whipped cream. And like the the, the kind that comes out of a can. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Yes, Andy, I'm on the edge of my seat. Screw that. Edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway... That's exciting. Um. (laughs) (laughs) He said enthusiastically. (laughs) Mm, That is exciting. (laughs) Italy has voted. No. Why is that capitalized? (laughs) (laughs) Rules on how Italy will implement phasing out all animals used in circuses will be set out within one year by a... Ministerial. Ministerial. Dang, this is what I get for... Ministroni. (laughs) This is what I get for only reading one word ahead. Rules on how Italy will implement rules on how (laughs) Italy will implement phasing out all circuses in Italy. Oh, God. I like that this article. article. (laughs) And I think you just need to take some time, take some time out of your day, put on some rusted root and just just really (laughs) ponder this, really ponder some of these ideas. Send me on my way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> send me on the way. Fun, fun fact: every of the two times that Paul and I have done live podcasts, we always listen to Rusted Root as the first song as we're leaving the event. <laughs> fun fact: I listen to that song every single day. <laughs> I hope it's like no. your alarm clock. <laughs> I actually don't. There are other songs that I probably listen to almost every day, but that is not one of them. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is. It is one of those songs though that whenever I put it on, I'm like, oh. This song is so gosh dang good. <laughs> it's one of the songs listened to every day. King 810. <laughs> Fat around the heart. <laughs> um, anyways, we, we, we get off the top. Get off the topic? Is that the expression? <laughs> anyways, we're getting off topic. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this, Andy? I, I, I feel like... <laughs> is there anything else you want to say about this, Andy? Before I then say something about it? Yeah, and and this article is almost saying. Uh, never mind. I'm not gonna. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this guy's gonna be a, a real, a real dingus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. The, I mean, it kind of lays it all out right there that the attitudes that this uh, that that this author had. Far be it from any of us to judge those people. <laughs> those people. <laughs> <laughs> So it's such, such a judgy way of saying it. Um, a recent stuttle, st- stuttle. You just stuttled a little bit. <laughs> it's like it's like a, a little stutter, a stuttle. If I had the willpower to do it, I'd give up meat tomorrow. <laughs> December seventeenth, uh, Paul, you're going to be at the villi, the villi, villi, villi. December the Billy Fedge Fest. <laughs> Billy Fedge Fest. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to address before I go on to this thing about just keep eating the way you want to eat? Andy, send me on my way to the end of this article. 